All right, Anderson, thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. It's been an eye-opening 24 hours for our collective social media existence, and we just got some new information. Facebook has just fired back. The Zuck posted a note on his Facebook page. It was supposed to be uh, to employees, but he knew it would get out. And it is a long negation of the whistleblower. It starts out about the massive outage that he called the worst in years and that they are debriefing how to strengthen systems. First, no accusations, but that outage sure came at a convenient time, didn't it? Got everybody talking about the outage instead of what was being outed in Congress. Second, it's interesting that the outage has Zuck searching for answers to do better. But he doesn't say that about anything happening in Congress. Not really. Other than admitting Congress does need to regulate social media more, he flatly rejects this central concern from the whistleblower. They have put their astronomical profits before people. Now, astronomical profits before people. Of course, do you believe this would make Facebook different than many big companies? So it's not a shocking suggestion. But it is a window into the reality that we see Facebook as different from just a huge company because it doesn't make widgets. Its service isn't something like even managing your money, which is very important. This is about the environment that is created almost as if it were a kind of oxygen. And the nature of it and the quality of it and how it's tested matters. Now, Zuckerberg mentions an example of why this is wrong about profits over people. He says, you know, we changed newsfeed to have less viral videos. It's proof that they're not about profits over people. Just one example, and that's the best one you can come up with. Again, is that surprising about any company, that profits is the main driver? No, but we'll get to that in a second, because there is a more daunting contention. I believe Facebook's products harm children that they understand that they could be harming children. Zuckerberg flatly denies this, says he has taken steps to keep kids safe, but that there are some vexing questions that need to be answered by Congress, culture, and corporations. Uh, I'll answer one of them right now as a parent of two teens and one who thinks that she's 35 but is only 12. Balancing the rights of the privacy of teens and parents. No, no right to privacy as a teen unless they're emancipated. There's an easy answer for you, Zuck. You got kids. They're going to get older. There is no right to privacy. It's your devices that they're going on. Things have to be monitored at that age, and you should know that. Now, even in that, he never said what should be obvious, and I know it is to you, and I know it is to us. In truth, it's been hard to watch the coverage, let alone Congress. We all know there's a problem and it has to be addressed. And part of the solution is that Facebook has to do better. Facebook has to do better, okay? Whether forced by Congress or by competition or just conscience. What we and our kids take in on social media is central to modern life. Look, whether you like it or not, it's true, okay? So, the consideration to what is consumed should be central as well. And this doesn't mean censorship. 
And none of this is new. The media may act otherwise, but even the ugliest accusations of lying by Facebook about what it does, it's not new. They've been accused of lying to Congress about everything, from what data it has on us, to how it gets it, and who it shares it with. The lies have run the gamut from misleading business practices to what it knew about people messing with our elections. Each time, we've seen more congressional hearings. And look, maybe it's not fair to say lies. Maybe there is some gray area that we don't understand because it's not explored as regulation. Look, we can't even fit all the different times that they've been before called to the carpet on the same screen. (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg himself has testified five times in the last decade. The central lie, though, and this is, this is just materially untrue. It's just too hard to do anything about so-called bad actors. Congressman, it would be difficult to ever guarantee that any single, that, 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 there, were, that there are no bad actors. Okay. Every problem around security is, is sort of an arms race, right? You have people who are trying to abuse systems, and our responsibility is to make that as hard as possible and to take um, the, the necessary precautions for a company of our scale. Necessary precautions for a company of our scale. Even in that answer, which I believe was an honest one, is a big admission. It's not about what's good for you as a company. It's not about what's appropriate for you simply as a company. These social media companies, again, are more than the makers of cars or cigarettes or financial services. They are creating the environment that we all live in, that we consume as culture. It's not just about what works for them. It can not be. And it is time for the reflexive notion that it's too hard to die. How is it that if you and I are discussing offshore fishing, all of a sudden we start to get ads? How is it? That it just seems to be in all of these disclaimers that none of us read because we just want to get on and click the button, that they let you know they got lots of ways of finding out what's being said and sent to you and that you're sending out. They can stop bad actors. Their own research says so. This is about what they choose to do, and it is telling where they choose to do it, namely places like India. Pakistan, Russia, Turkey, the Philippines, and China. Yesterday's outage showed just how much this company, this one company matters. Just Facebook. It's a big deal when Facebook and Instagram went down. Now, I did think it was funny that so many of you who had said you had gotten rid of it were complaining about Instagram and Facebook being out. I guess you didn't hold to your convictions on that one. But look, I'm not saying you should either. These are staples of our existence these days, like it or not. You don't have to do it, but everybody does. 3.5 billion people. That resonates everywhere on this planet. I have strong national security concerns about how Facebook operates. Of course there are. Look, this is not about Facebook being bad, okay? It's about it being symptomatic 
of a problem. All right. And they have to be part of the solution. The hope is that this time it resonates. This time it matters because the warnings aren't new. It is an industry that stands at the nexus of so many of our biggest threats. Domestic terror, the big lie, the growing political divisions. I'm not saying they're the reason for the division, but they're a magnifier. They're a multiplier. Drug cartels, sex trafficking, racism, hate speech, anti-Semitism. The question is Congress. Are you too broken to do what they actually agree needs to happen? I mean, look, this is a weird one. All right. You got Fox and CNN making the same arguments largely about social media. Okay. For all the viral moments floating around making this member or that one look out of touch, there are half a dozen active bills in the House. Did you know that? All with bipartisan support designed to address many of these problems. Why aren't they going anywhere? How many of you don't believe that you need help in understanding what is allowed to get to you and what people seem to be basing their realities on? For its part, Even Facebook says that they need the help of regulation. Because here's the part that really needs to stand out. This isn't about demonizing them or an industry or any company. This is about understanding the competitive advantage that is right in front of all of us. The last time we saw a Facebook whistleblower testify before Congress, and that's another thing, the whistleblower. We've had him before. Remember Cambridge Analytica? A few months after this guy. Pew Research found that 44% of young users deleted Facebook from their phones. Legislation, good. Building trust, better. And the two go hand in hand. Now, companies, whether they're the giants or a new competitor, they have the tools to design platforms where kids can be safe. Even though it's a new world and it's new technology, the old rule still applies. It is possible to do well and still to do good. My next guest knows this reality. He was one of the earliest investors in Facebook. He's also the author of Zucked, Roger McNamee. It's good to have you. What did you think of his response? Well, first of all, I got to tell you what I think of your opening. I mean, that was amazing. Don't insult me. I'm at a low. No, I'm really sorry. But that was I mean, that was absolutely extraordinary. And the thing here is you got to the essential issues. So the thing with Zuckerberg's um, post tonight is that it follows a classic Facebook formula, which it uses rhetorical questions to to try to undermine an argument against Facebook, where the rhetorical questions are either deflections or just plain inaccurate. So for example, one of the core ones in there is Facebook said, oh, we couldn't possibly be doing what the whistleblower accuses us of because advertisers would not want to see their ads next to inflammatory content. What he elides, the really critical point here is that some of the most profitable advertisers to Facebook are the very people who are spreading that exact content that's causing all the trouble. So think about anti-vaxxers. They are huge advertisers on Facebook. Even, you know, the Stop the Steal movement and the insurrection, giant advertiser on Facebook. If you look at human trafficking, I mean, they're just a gazillion scams on Facebook on any given day. So the underlying argument is completely flawed. Francis, you used a very interesting word there, Roger, and I want to use the word to take us to the solution. You said he elides. 
uh, which is a very nice way of saying that he slips past the reality that it is not true about all advertisers, that there are plenty who are willing to pay to spread poison. So that takes us to the fix. You have said on this show and elsewhere before, you have no doubt that they can do things to control content, misinformation, disinformation, uh, pernicious and overt. What is the fix that you would want to see first? So the critical thing I would point out here is that Frances Haugen, the whistleblower, she's courageous, she's authoritative, and she's utterly convincing. And Facebook's responses, by contrast, are completely unbelievable. And the key thing here is Frances Haugen talks about the moral failing of prioritizing profits over public safety. You made the essential point. In America, we tell our CEOs, all you do in your job is maximize profits. The result is companies have taken on business models that are dangerous. The business model of Facebook is designed to maximize attention at any cost. So when you think about kids, young, uh, you know, say teenage girls or younger. Yeah, I have one. I have a kid who is a case study in this. Thank God she's healthy and she's okay, but it's a struggle, brother. It's a struggle because of what's coming at her. Instagram was designed from the beginning with filters to make people look better than they are in real life, which is designed to provoke envy, which causes people to spend money. That was the business model from day one. This notion that they did not intend to hurt kids is completely unbelievable. And so what you have to have is you have to address three things, Chris, safety, privacy, and competition. And if I may, the safety thing, think about it this way. We've had really important industries that were unsafe in the past. Before the Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906, food production was unsafe. Medicines were unsafe. We created the FDA to make them safe. We need something like that here. Secondly, you've got privacy. The big issue on all this stuff, it's not just that Facebook tracks you everywhere, but that there's a giant economy of third parties who have all of your location data from your cell phone. They have your prescriptions and your medical tests, which tell you everything you need to know about a person's health. They have all your financial transactions. They know what apps you're using. They know what you do on the web. All of that trades online, and they use it to create first a model that allows them to use artificial intelligence to predict your behavior. But then also they use artificial intelligence to then go out with recommendation engines Mm -hmm. to manipulate your behavior. And that is a huge problem. And that is what's going on with Stop the Steal, causing all of those people to attack the Capitol, thinking that that was a patriotic act. Those people were manipulated. And so those are huge issues. The third issue is competition. We need to update the antitrust laws for the 21st century. And we need to recognize that this is not about Facebook. Facebook is the worst offender today. But there is a long line of companies trying to use artificial intelligence or smart devices or facial recognition, next generation technologies, which will be every bit as harmful in the future as Facebook is today. And we need to have safety, privacy and competition throughout the entire economy. I'll tell you what, if Zuckerberg's as smart as we believe him to be, he should own the changes. Because even from a competitive standpoint, if he can do it at scale, nobody's going to come underneath and say, I have a safer Facebook. Roger McNamee, I made the pledge. I'm not going to break it. We must continue to speak, not just when there's a congressional hearing, not just when it's obvious. We have to keep talking about what the realities are and why things aren't changing, because we're all living it and we're starting to accept the problem is just part of normal, and that is unacceptable. 
Appreciate you being on. My pleasure. All See right. you soon. So we'll keep talking about it because we're all living it. I got the kids at home. You got the kids. We see it. How many times on your phone does it pop up? Allow this. Don't allow that. You don't have any time to read these things, right? You trust. We trust that these companies are doing the right thing. But more and more we learn they're doing the right thing, all right, by their shareholders and by what makes them more money. You got to balance it out. Capitalism is not without its checks, okay? And this is one of those situations. Cigarettes, right? You think that this is any less pernicious? than cigarettes. It's everywhere. It's everything. Look at your kids. Look at your life. Look at your screen time. At least three weeks now, families are in agony. Why? Because of the Gabby Petito situation. Is Brian Laundrie alive? He's been gone. Now we know new information that he didn't just come home once. Her family says someone needs to start talking. Brian's sister just did. But will that put investigators any closer? What we've learned and what the likelihood is here of anything else being found out. FBI Insider, next. The Gabby Petito case. Uh, Just a quick will and won't, all right? Uh, Of course, the focus is going to be on finding the fiancé. But this is not the Brian Laundry story. Uh, you cannot lose sight of who was lost here, okay? Uh, you need to find him so that there can be a review of what is justice here, what is fairness under law. Uh, the consciousness of guilt uh, and making you flee is damning but not dispositive. So it's not And I'm not going to make it sound like that. And I'm not going to tantalize you with little details that really don't mean anything just to keep the story going. It's about things that are formative of our understanding. Now, is what we heard from Laundrie's sister uh, and from what we now know about his movements, how do they help us? And in terms of the urgency and of how odd this was from jump, Here is some of Gabby Petito's parents, all four of them, with Dr. Phil. I'd say Brian's a mediocre survivalist. It wouldn't surprise me if he could last out there a very long time. Is he living off the land somewhere? Possibly. Does he have that skill set? I believe so. I mean, is he an environmentalist, survivalist type? I mean, he knows camping, knows... I believe he bragged about that, like that he was good at that stuff. That was the sister before talking to CNN. And then obviously you saw that was Gabby's mom. Okay. Uh, like many families, right? It's, it's mixed. The mother and father biologically are now remarried to other people. But let me tell you something. These four are all in it together. Um, now, uh, Cassie Laundry hasn't spoken with her parents in about two weeks. Why? Once again, on the advice of the parent's lawyer. Now, there's a long hate parade for this lawyer and for his advice. But again, remember, this isn't about PR for a lawyer. This is about how to insulate their clients. It's not about uh, doing what you or I may think is right. It's about how to secure their legal rights. Remember that. Now, the sister says the attorney, whom she describes as being like an uncle to her, won't allow the parents to discuss the case with anyone, including her. Why? 
because if they do, she no longer has what they call plausible deniability of anything that they may have told her. That's why legally he's doing it that way. Let's bring in an expert about what we understand and what we don't hear. Retired FBI agent uh, Bobby Chacon. Now, you've dealt with the uh, lawyer side of this many, many times, even though it's not your area of practice. This is frustrating. It's discomforting. It's weird. It's unusual. But it is not weird for a lawyer to tell people who could be in trouble, shut up, talk to nobody, say nothing. You're right, Chris, and and this is the this is where the hatred of defense attorneys always kind of comes in. But yeah, he's actually doing his job. Yeah, until you need yeah, one, right? Exactly, and, and he's him. actually he's and he's doing his job. He's doing what he's paid to do. He's he's advocating for his client in in every aspect, and he's he's trying to shield his clients from legal liability, and and that's what he gets paid for, and that's what he's charged with. Anything less, and and it would be legal malpractice. Now. I want to play the sister again because I want to flip this point and put it back into your wheelhouse about reasonable suspicions here. Here's another bite of the sister. No, I do not know where Brian is. I'd turn him in. I don't know if my parents are involved. I am losing my parents and my brother and my children's aunt and my future sister-in-law on top of this. And you're not helping. Why your parents? Why, why your parents? You're talking about Christmas. They're not talking to us either. All right. Now, family drama aside. We've heard and we know as fact that when the parents of Gabby were looking for her and contacting the laundry family, they never got back to them from jump, Bobby. Uh, As soon as their son got back, they refused to communicate. How do you process that? That's right. That's right. And, and it even goes further than that, Chris, because the entire time, say from the, from the first or late in August when they, when they lost contact with Gabby to September 11th is when the police said the van is back. That's the first time Gabby's parents, her mom in New York, found out that the van was even back. And that whole time when they're reaching out for um, uh, uh, Laundry's parents, Brian's parents, they thought both of the kids were missing. They didn't even know Brian was back. So they, they, they even had a more of a, a grave sense because both kids are missing and why aren't his parents responding to any of our calls and texts? Right. So it went beyond just, you know, pro- trying to protect Brian. They didn't even know Brian was back. Now, do you care that Brian Laundrie came back once in August, I think it's 17th, uh, supposedly he had to do some things, close down a storage unit or something like that, and then he went back to Gabby and then... Uh, there was, you know, obviously then the ultimate separation so that they were apart for about a week after the police stop. I've been trying to think since I heard this news um, about what kind of nefarious motive or intent or uh, purpose that that might have had, that trip might have had. But the stated purpose was they decided to extend their trip. They had all this stuff in storage back in Florida that they could sell most of it and move into a smaller unit, not pay the larger unit fee, and actually convert some of those things to cash to help them extend their trip, which is it sounds like a reasonable explanation. I can't for the life of me because Gabby is seen after he returns um, with her. So we know that, you know, she, her demise didn't cause him to travel back to Florida. So he goes back to Utah and they're back together and they're seen together again. I, I, don't, I can't think of a, uh, of a nefarious reason why he would have made that trip. And, and I tend to believe the stated reason that they were trying to uh, liquidate some assets so they could continue the trip. It also 
uh, changes what was a supposition about this being a straight line sequence of inflammatory events uh, that led a controlling person to maybe do something extreme to someone uh, they were supposed to have loved. Uh, He had time to cool off. Did he? Or why oh, th- didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And what did that mean? I think that th- I think that ultimately that will be shown that this was not a you know a planned thing, but this was a pattern of violence that would erupt and then it would settle and then it would mm-hmm. erupt again and then it would settle and then ultimately an eruption that probably cost Gabby her life. But I'll tell you this: that's something that Bobby knows a lot better than I. But in my twenty plus years, I've never seen a case where somebody who cares about somebody had nothing to do with looking for them when they went missing. It's the first time I've ever heard of it, let alone dealt with it. Bobby, thank you very much. Uh, As we get the next relevant piece, I'll see if you can come back. Thank you very much. I'll be here, Chris. Thanks. January 6th. It is a date that must live in infamy or not. Maybe not if you want to run for president as a Republican or shall I say in the Trump party. Because if anybody were going to carry that day in their heart, in politics, it would be Mike Pence because they came looking for him. But not only does the former VP now want you to say it was overblown, but that he and Trump, they're great. It's all fine. It's just the media that's a problem. Let's shine a light on a reality. Next. This was just nine months ago. In fact, nine months ago tomorrow. But to hear it from the former VP, Mike Pence, this was no biggie. No biggie that Trumpers whipped into a frenzy, in part by the former president, in part by the myths and disinformation allowed to propagate itself on social media. In that frenzy, they attacked the Capitol, set up a gallows for Pence, chanted what you heard and more. At Trump's suggestion, remember, he said Mike failed them. And why? Because Pence didn't find a way, and it does seem that Pence looked for ways, to change the fact that they had lost the election. But now no biggie, says the guy that they came for. The president and I sat down a few days later and talked through all of it. I can tell you that we parted amicably at the end of the administration, and we've talked a number of times since we both left office. I know the media wants to distract from the Biden administration's failed agenda by focusing on one day in January. They want to use that one day to try and demean uh, the, the, the character and intentions of 74 million Americans. Just a media distraction to demean Trump supporters? No, the men and women who decided to attack the Capitol demeaned themselves and our democracy. And Mr. Vice President, just because you stay, say it with a straight face doesn't mean you're being straight. You are demeaning yourself by pandering to poison politics and lies about January 6th. And you know it. You had to run and hide with your family from the insurrectionists because Trump wouldn't help you. That's the fact. And we all know it. But Trump still gets that fealty. Why? Because for Pence, 
and many others, that is the only way to run in 24 in his party. Pence, who stood silent, must now speak up on Trump's behalf. Then there's Nikki Haley, who once looked like she could stand apart from the savagery of her party. Remember for a fleeting second after January 6th, Trump's former ambassador to the UN was willing to say the obvious? Remember this? He's fallen so far, we should not have followed him. And we should not have listened to him. And we can't let that happen ever again. Ever again. Until this Wall Street Journal. Trump has a, quote, strong legacy from his administration. We need him in the Republican Party. I don't want us to go back to the days before Trump. Really? Look, it is not notable that politicians will say whatever it takes to get power. I know these rules don't apply to your life. I know this is why you are so disgusted by politics, especially the politics on the right right now. I got it. All of it is a problem. They are specifically a unique problem. What matters is that Trump still carries this kind of weight. The only time people seem to tell the truth about what should be obvious to all of us is when they're getting paid to like his White House press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, who now wants you to have clear eyes on Trump. The fact that he's the the front runner right now for if he were to run for office is scaring me. And that's because if he gets into office, he doesn't run for re-election again. He'll be able to do whatever he wants. And we all know there's going to be retribution. There's going to be revenge. People think that the people in that Trump White House were, were bad, perhaps. I have a feeling the 1-6 the crowd might be working in the White House in 2024. Hmm. Look, Grisham likely knows as much as who will be around Trump as you do. She's not a Trump insider. But she could be right about what another Trump presidency may mean to you and your family. So what does this all mean for the GOP? Let's take a break. And when we come back, you want to hear somebody speak truth about that party, about what it means that Grisham wants to come out now, what Pence is saying, what Haley's saying. That is going to be the face of the straight up truth. Next. Nikki Haley and Mike Pence both groveling to get back into Trump's good graces. Stephanie Grisham saying now she's telling the truth. Let's bring in Anna Navarro for the straight deal on this. So I guess Pence and Haley are betting that Trump doesn't run again, because if he does, they just disqualified themselves in the primary because he'll run right over him. What is Pence's play here, ignoring January 6th when they came for him? Well, I think one is what you just said, that uh, they're counting on Trump not running and then being part of the big group of contestants on Republican Survivor Island for the 2024 Republican primary. Another, Chris, is that uh, Mike Pence, who apparently has no identity other than being Donald Trump's vice president and wanting to stay in politics, thinks that if Trump does run again, he will be his VP nominee again. And I think Nikki Haley is also betting on that. So I think, you know, those are the two possibilities they see. But frankly, I don't see either of those happening for Mike Pence. So he's groveling. He is humiliating himself. He is showing complete lack of dignity and self-respect for nothing. 
Because if he thinks that the people who wanted to hang him from gallows, okay, hang him, though we all heard the chants, hang Mike Pence. If he thinks those people are ever going to believe that he did the right thing in, in allowing and legitimizing the uh, election results, he's grossly mistaken. They're never going to forgive and they're never going to forget. And Mike Pence is never going to be able to out-trump somebody like Ron DeSantis, who doesn't have that kind of historical baggage that he brings. Mm. And on the other side, there's the Republicans like me, who are also never going to forgive or forget his complicity for four years in allowing the abuses of power and sitting there smiling, looking like a doting wife uh, at, at Donald Trump. We're never going to forgive that. And we've got other candidates. We've got people like a Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger who are much more appealing to us. So I see no space for him. And it's 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 beyond pathetic. And I'll tell you, to me, probably what I think is, is the worst thing. It's not even the, the lack of self-respect to himself. If somebody should want to get to the truth of what happened on January 6th, it should be Mike Pence. But it's the lack of respect to the Secret Service and to the Capitol Police who saved his skin that day. He was within hundreds of feet of, the, of those protesters that wanted to hang him from a noose they had built. And he owes them, he owes them wanting to get to the truth and the bottom of what led to January 6th. So shame on him. That's a strong point. Let's end it there. That's enough for me. Uh, that's a, I don't want to flood that point with anything else. Anna Navarro, thank you. Uh, for giving us the straight tell, and we'll see what your party does. We'll see her soon, that's for sure. All right, uh, headline from a new report. It's not getting enough attention. Captured, killed, or compromised. That's the headline about a disturbing number of CIA informants around the world. Why? This apparent top-secret cable was sent out by the CIA about it. Is U.S. intelligence this jeopardized? Let's take it to a former CIA counter-terror official. Next. This is not getting enough attention, and it does check out, and it's out of the New York Times. The headline, dozens of CIA informants have been captured, killed, or compromised, meaning possibly turned into double agents. Times is basing their reporting on what? A top secret memo sent to all stations and bases around the world. Let's bring in Phil Mudd to help assess the danger. Now, first, uh, let's ass assess the basis. A CIA top secret memo getting out like this that was sent to all stations. Uh, do you trust the sourcing on this? I do. I initially looked at this. and The first question I have, Chris, the same question you would have is, is this legitimate? But if you look at the memo, and you look at the background of where the CIA has been in the past 20 years, let me give you a snapshot. The CIA comes out of 20 years of saying, we're going into a business of working with security services in places like Pakistan to hunt terrorists, maybe recruiting terrorists. We're paying less attention to Iranians, Chinese, Russians, North Koreans. And now I'm not surprised people in the CIA, I can guarantee you are, guarantee you are saying, when we get back into the business of the real spy stuff, North Koreans, as I said, Russians, Chinese, are we as good as we used to be? And I'm sure there's some people, Chris, who are answering that question with the simple answer, no, we're not. Well, saying that you're a little rusty 
uh, is different than having your people picked off and killed. How is that? Why is that happening? Well, there's one thing that's changed in the, in, over the years. One is, you know, have you trained the, the, the people in the CIA the same way you would have trained 20, 25 years ago to be alert to everything from simple things, counter surveillance to the second piece? And this is what I want to focus on. That is the digital piece. If you want to talk to somebody on email, if you want to talk to somebody on text, if you ask somebody to travel by a fake name in the age of biometric passports, that is fingerprints, uh, if you're doing that classic spy business, are you sure that you know how to face the Chinese or the Russians today as opposed to what you would have done 20 years ago? The digital age, as Chris has changed the spy business. And one of the questions in the article is, is the CIA ready for that? Are they trained for that? So is it about the game changing and maybe the United States are not being up to snuff? Or is this about some type of targeted takeout of United States assets? Now, I'd say there's two things I think about from the CIA. First is them and the second is us. Them is what I just mentioned. If you look at the countries I mentioned, let's take Russia and China. In terms of digital capability, if you want to talk to somebody over the Internet compared to 20 years ago, what do you think the Russians and the Chinese are good at? Not only targeting us, us in terms of digital, but also numbers of people. You look at the Chinese security service. That's hundreds of thousands of people looking across the Internet saying, what are we seeing in terms of something that would allow us to pick up, pick up an agent? So. They've gotten better, but also I've got to believe looking at us, and people talked about that this when I was in the business. Looking at us, we had a lot of junior officers who were out talking to people like the Pakistanis and the Saudis, help us find terrorists. Those junior CIA officers weren't trained in saying, how do I prevent surveillance from the Russians and the Chinese? There's a generation of CIA people who maybe don't know the business as well as they should, Chris. That's the message. So let me ask you this again. I asked you when we left Afghanistan, uh, are we going to be able to be as safe at home after as we were when we had people on the ground? You said, yes, I think so. Do you believe we are as safe at home now with a CIA that's having its people picked off as some type of evidence of how they do the job? No. The simple reason is if you look at the, the basics of intelligence, how do you prevent the threat to America? Threat in terms of American elections, that's the Russians. Threat in terms of uh, how you assess uh, threats to places like Korea and Japan, that's the Chinese. Threats to uh, the Middle East and Europe in terms of missiles, that's the Iranians. If those places are getting better at picking off our agents by looking at things like how they communicate by email and text, and we don't know what those places like the Russians are doing in terms of American elections. I don't know how you interpret this in another way, Chris, than saying if American spies are blind, we're weaker. We are weaker. You also got to hope we're getting our best. And with the distrust in institutions now is being fomented in our yeah. politics. Yeah. I wonder how recruiting is going. Phil Mudd, I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back with the handoff. All right, let's bring in the big star of Don Lemon tonight, D. Lemon, to discuss a little bit of the 1,300-plus word 
response by Zuckerberg of Facebook tonight. Don, he used 1,300 words. I could use two for what his message was. Wasn't me. <laughs> like Shaggy? Is that what you're trying to say? It wasn't me? I'm telling you what. You go through the different situations, not literally uh, depicted in that song, but how obvious the things were. Yeah. Look, um, everyone deserves a defense, so I'll just say that. But let me just be honest. They have to know what's going on. They, um, you know, they can, I can talk about, uh, you know, I want a pig in the blanket for, you know, a party on Saturday. And all of a sudden, pigs in a blanket show up in my feed, in my Facebook feed, or in my Instagram feed, or in my Twitter feed, however, wherever it shows up. They know what's up. Mm Mm-hmm. They know what people are doing. They know what people are looking at. They have the algorithms. And, you know, they have, more people have these than they have these boxes that they usually watch us on, than subscribe to cable. Everyone has a device, and on these devices, it comes with a, you know, with a Facebook or with an Instagram mm-hmm. or with a Twitter or whatever. So they know. So, I, I, look, I, I think that they realize that it's long past time. And they know that they're going to be regulated. They're just trying to sh- hold it off. He's asking for, as, for regulation. For as, yes, but not the kind of regulation that they should have. And I think there should be even more parameters on the people who use it, how people are allowed to use it, that you should have to put your, who you are, your ident- you should be identified to the company. That doesn't mean that the company has to share your information with law enforcement unless you do something that is, you know, detrimental to your fellow citizen, a threat or something like that. But uh, I think that that would cut back on the BS that's there. And, um, you know, I, I also think that there should be regulations in large part for young people and, and for people's mental health. Because One of the things he says in the letter, uh, just to dispense with this quickly as a parent, uh, and I see all the messages I'm getting that you guys agree, but of, of course you do. You, you know, there's no other way to see it as a parent. He says in the missive, uh, supposedly, uh, you know, aimed at his employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going over with you. Go on. He says, uh, you know, we have to figure out how to balance. Like, how do you balance the privacy interests of teens uh, and their parents' ability to monitor? There is no balance. Teenagers don't own the device. If they're emancipated, if they're paying for their own service, then fine. They're minors. Mm-hmm. They are basically chattel. They are personal property of the parents until they reach 18. You don't balance that. The balance is the interest of how you keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the language through there, even though I'm sure it was you know, reviewed carefully, he talks about how he does things in ways that make sense for a company of this scale. It's not about the company. This company doesn't make widgets. They don't make donuts. They don't make cars. This is basically the oxygen of the cultural environment in which we all exist They're shaping the culture in in, in many, many, many ways. And they know it. And and probably the most influential, they're shaping the culture. And they know it. And so, listen, I I know that, you know, there are people at Facebook who believe that, well, you know, we have to, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, I don't know. There's a fine line between disseminating information and having free speech um, and stopping people from saying what they want, censoring people. But I think that we are well beyond that point. This isn't about censorship. This is about doing what is right. 
The same thing with the tobacco companies, which I'll talk about, where the, the tobacco companies fought tooth and nail with, with very similar arguments as to what Mark Zuckerberg uh, and others at Facebook are saying in defense of, of themselves. Now, listen, we know it's not a cancer like a, a cigarette or disease like that, but it can be cancerous to our Plenty of people kill themselves. And to our society and, and other things, not just kill themselves, but they harm them, th- themselves, right? And they harm others. And they harm predatory behavior. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be allowed to just bully people um, with, you know, with with no defense. Right. And look, I actually flip this because you're going to have the freedom fighters uh, come at anybody who's, oh, look, he wants to take away your rights. You can't decide for yourself. The government has to do everything. Same kind of BS that they did with the vaccine. But look, I say, let's flip the script. You find me an area of our existence that is left alone the way this is. No newspaper you read. No television, no podcast, okay? No radio station. There's nowhere else that you take in information that basically just says, hey, man, it is what it is. Well, well, it's not supposed to be that way, especially in traditional or legacy media. There are podcasts, there's a Wild Wild West factor to podcasts as well. They don't really have, they're not regulated in a way. Now, and if someone on a podcast uh, besmirches your character, um, or they said something that's libelous, then you can, you, there are ramifications. Uh, in some legacy media now, we know with the, the, you know, the propaganda network, they say whatever they want. They, you know, I, I just, I won't go there, but, um, you know, they don't have any ramifications. It doesn't seem to be any ramifications. Well, but remember they what make, they make did, things up. right? So, they divided. They don't tell you this. But the nighttime, the primetime lineup is by the entertainment division. It's not part of the news division. Well, See, the that's the way too. they do it. Everybody finds a runaround. Too. You know, I'm just saying, look, this matters. It's not about censorship. It's not just about Facebook. Not for me. I haven't been on Facebook in years. Yeah, what I'm saying yeah. is social media matters. It is part of our everyday reality. It is much more influential than any other product that is out there. And yet it has the least scrutiny on how it does what it does. And that cannot continue anymore. Even Zuckerberg says that. Regulate it. Standards and practices. But don't even use the word regulate because because it triggers it triggers people who don't like government. You have to call a thing. You have to call a thing a thing, Chris. It's got to be regulated. I know people don't, they hate, just because they hate the word doesn't mean that it should not be regulated. I, I will just say this. I'm not saying don't, don't use laws and guidelines and consequences for not following them. But look, That's messaging regulation. matters, okay? Yeah. Okay. And if you don't think it does, look at the mess we're in with the vaccines because we yeah. had scientists doing the messaging. They're not good messengers. Yeah. What you say matters and how you say it matters. I'll, this isn't I'll, about restricting your rights. It's about making sure that people do what they do right. I'll end with this. Go ahead. And this is a start for the social media companies. What is put on your platform, at the very least, should be true. Let's start there. What if it's an and, opinion? And then we go, it's, it should be true. You can have, a, you can have opinions true. based in fact, okay? So at the very least, it should be true. And it should be based in some sort of fact. Beyond that, then we can, let's start at that base level, that baseline right there. And then we can go on with the rest of it. I think the baseline should be that you should know who uses your product. That's true. That, no, that should be the that, first I step. I agree. And you should know who is responding to you and who's putting it out there as well. So if someone says something about me, I should know that it's Joe Smith who lives in 
Wisconsin, and it shouldn't just be a bot. And somebody should be making a social media platform where everybody who is on it says who they are. You you can have a different screen name, but that everybody's registered so that they have to own it. In fact, I would like if people use their own names. Now, I get the chilling effect. I get that people can come after you for what you do. So you got to figure out the right way to do it and in the right place. But we can do a hell of a lot better than we're doing now. Love you, brother. Got to run. Make your witness. I love you you very much. We're going to continue to talk about this. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.